Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the discussion phase. This is our board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. As always, I'm Brady. And I'm Matthew. And on today's episode, Matthew and I are going to be playing a little game of Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo while we discuss our favorite first player mechanisms in our favorite board games. Then hopefully we're going to have time in this episode for a little board game showdown throwdown later on between Arnak and Dune Imperium. As always, stick around and buckle up. Alrighty, Matthew. So we haven't really seen each other in a hot second because uh, once again, I went out of town because here in East Tennessee, what we do is we always take these little mini vacations that we call cabin trips. Cabin trips. Yep, cabin trips. They're all over the place. There's Gatlinburg, Tennessee, that's the Las Vegas of the South, and everybody goes there to have cabin trips. So we went on our second cabin trip um, of the year, uh, I think. Actually, you know, there's been a few more. Um, But we went with our small group from church, and they aren't quite the same board game crowd as the last one, but we were able to squeeze in several games there, which I'm I'm really proud of. Yeah. I got my wife, Tara, to play great western trail yeah i'm surprised that she hadn't played this one before and when i talked to her she said like she it seemed like she enjoyed it uh, obviously with a game like that it's hard to know exactly all the actions that you're doing earlier in the game and how that's going to affect your game later on but she was definitely yeah. wanted to play again yeah so she she kind of she didn't do well which uh, with great western trail that's got fairly common for your first yeah. go round. But she was like, by the end of it, she was like, okay, I feel like I know what I did wrong, and I'm like ready to go for the next one. Yeah. Well, while you were all um, at a cabin trip, John and I um, had the weekend to hang out together, and we got in. We talked about a little bit last week, Grand Austria Hotel, and we had got in the Kickstarter version with the Let's Waltz uh, expansion. Um, And so John and I, we played it with everything except for the Celebrities module. Um, and it was fantastic. I think when we play again, Brady, we need to throw all this in because it takes it from a game with, it seems like kind of repetitive, maybe repetitive actions or kind of, okay, we're doing the same thing over and over and just opens it wide up. Uh, The combos galore, the different strategies. um, It it just, it made it a game where it was just constantly singing in your mind, was constantly going, not as like, wait, but like, okay, this could combo into this, or maybe I could combo this, uh, guests that do these new actions and uh, what's really great is everyone gets brand new asymmetric player abilities so your hotel has a special hotel ability i do love some asymmetric player yep abilities. you get to bid for it obviously there's the drafting really you fo- get to bid for it yep you place them out there's bidding for those which will, that's the best part of lorenzo i know which is the same designers uh, obviously <laughs> there's the drafting for the starting uh staff there's new staff cards that expand there's an entire new deck of guest cards that just have fun exciting new abilities that change the way you think about or work with the game um, obviously there's the ballroom let's waltz there's a new resource in the game called champagne and i think what really makes the game interesting is that normally when you fulfill a guest's needs with whatever food it is you have to then put them in a room now you have an option so either you want to or let's say you can't because you don't have a room prepared you could send send this guest to a dance floor, which is kind of like um, competitive scoring opportunities. Kind of, I wouldn't say it will kind of area control semi. Uh, there's bonuses when you place them on there, and then they score on rounds three, five, and seven, along with the emperor track. 
based on where you have your dancers placed, how many dancers you have on there, but it gives you options of, do I want to send them to a room or I could send them off to the ballroom instead, either because of my choice or maybe I didn't have space, but there's a lot of fun new comboing to where like, it's normally like, man, if I'm sending them all to the ballroom, how am I ever going to get my rooms filled? But now there's a lot more interesting combos, especially with the asymmetric abilities uh, for the factions uh, that makes it really interesting and bumps the weight up, not in a difficult to play, if you played it before, these expansions are really at easy to add in, but it bumps up the weight a little bit of there's different branching paths to get to my end objective, which I think is really, really fun. And it definitely makes this a game, especially if you got two or three players, uh, especially two. I know David, he, he says he'll only ever play this at two. I'm fine at playing it at two or three. Uh, it takes, hey, we just have a couple people, but we still want to get the full kind of bigger Euro, weighted yeah. Euro fill in, in in a time that's not still going to burn our brains down. It, it's fantastic for that. Yeah. Speaking uh, of two-player games, um, J- uh, Jacob and I had a chance to kind of bro it out a couple times with some two-player games of Watergate and Lord of the Rings, The Confrontation, which yeah. right now... Which is one of my favorite two-player games. Yeah, and both of them, I, I like both of them. I like Watergate a good bit more, I will say, but... Um, that I'm kind of I'm on another one of my journeys, Matthew. You know how I go through these journeys, these yeah. cravings, where I'm trying to Fats. find another two player game that gives me the same just gut wrenching tension as Watergate. And I haven't found it yet. So yeah. I twi- need... we tried Twilight Struggle. You weren't quite feeling that one as yeah. much. So that one and I don't I can't quite explain what it is. What it is. I think it's like a simplistic um, elegance to the game, uh, to like Watergate. And I, I don't necessarily, I was for a while, I was looking at, um, Star Wars Rebellion. I'm still waiting for you to buy it so we can play it. Yeah. That one may, that I, I, I looked at that one for a while and that one may be a Christmas present later on down the road if I'm still feeling it. Um, but that Santa one Claus. still feels a little too big and sprawling. Like, I don't know that I would call that one elegant. So when you look at um, two-player games, are you because I know some people who specifically they want two-player games, but also they want a shorter, compact game, 30, 45 minutes. Um, I feel like for me though, I've been really getting a lot more enjoyment out of these hour and a half, two hour, yeah. like full game experience, but with just two players, because like, hey, here's a full game experience that you love, but with two players, it's a lot snappier. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to realize I think. I'm not I enjoy those as much. Yeah, or I'm not maybe necessarily more. opposed to that time frame. I don't necessarily. Well, Star Wars Rebellion goes a good bit longer, so I'm not. I I, I really want to play Star Wars Rebellion before I like buy Judge it. Cause it. I feel like yeah. I could it could go either way, kind of like. Um, well, someone's got to buy it to play it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if we might be able to find it at some game shop around here that lets you like rent them or something. I don't know, uh, but. Yeah, I don't know. I just Watergate has this tension where I just feel um, at any moment that I can lose the game. Oh, you know, one thing I thought of is that both Lord of the Rings: The Confrontation and um, uh, Watergate are objective-based uh, two-player games instead of victory point-based two-player games, and I think that adds a lot of tension to the game because um, I like. In Watergate, sometimes you can look at the board and you can go, okay, well, Brady is clearly ahead here. And that's kind of what happened on a couple of our games. Spoiler alert for uh, with me and Jacob. But it 
at any point during that game or at no point during that game, do I feel like I have the game in the bag? I feel like I could lose it at any second. And in fact, there was one game in particular where I thought I had the game in the bag. I was like, oh yeah, there is nothing Jacob can do to, to stop me winning on this next turn. And then boom, he did it. And, and then, uh, then like a couple turns later, I'm like, all right, now I finally work my way back up here. And now there's really nothing he can do. And then boom, he, he pulled it out again. And I ended up winning that game, but I felt like I could just, I was just on the edge of losing it the whole time. Well, isn't this also the same criticism though, that you give for root? Um, because root, there is no set rounds. There is an overall objective. Well, no, get... there's uh, it's victory points. Yeah, but what if we said instead of victory points, we just call them forced favor? Well, and you're what moving I mean up by... favor because the thing is, Watergate, you do have like you're not they're not called points, but like you do have disc, and if you accumulate enough of those discs, let's say if you're the press, essentially those are kind of like victory points, and if you meet the victory point condition. The thing is, they're not those victory points. Like, hey, I got more victory points than you. The victory points are essentially just counters to do you hit the end game trigger. Yeah, I guess. So. I guess what I mean is the yeah, that's true. You could probably you could probably associate the Nixon's little counters as victory points. Um, but the thing, I guess, I would, the other objective is the press, and all they have to do is connect to people. So that is like totally not victory points. Um, and the same with the Lord of the Rings of Confrontation. So there's, there is no victory points in that game. You just have to get, um, you know, Frodo to the Shire or whatever. And so, or find and kill. Yeah. Frodo. Yeah. Cause like in Twilight Struggle, if one person has like 20 points or whatever, that you feel like you're, you've just lost. And there's like very little chance of like coming back from that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, but definitely between, if we're just looking at those two, um, Lord of the Rings confrontation has my, if I was to sit down and I had to choose one, that's the one I'd pick. Um, because I love the fact that you know 100% at the start of the game, what cards are in your opponent's hand. Yes. The thing is I have, I've, every time we play Watergate, there's always at least one point in it where I get so frustrated because <laughs> I feel like I have a strategy. I have a plan. I know what I want to do. I think I know what kind of my opponent is generally wanting to do, but the cards I draw are just, just whatever happens, that hand just all seemed vastly inferior uh, to your opponents, um, just by the luck of the draw. Yeah. Um, well, here, and here's the thing, though. I thought about that, and and that does happen. And you're like, well, the, man, this hand is crap. I'm not going to be able to do much. But guess what that means? Because it's card draw. It means that the next hand is probably going to be a lot better. And so you just kind of have to realize that and go, okay, I just have to kind of survive for this hand. I'm not. I might not make much progress, but I just don't want to lose a lot of progress. And so then you just have to save up. For that next hand, the game just keeps going like deeper and deeper for me yeah. as I have played both sides um, more and more, and I like have basically memorized every card in both decks. And like I'm sitting there going, okay, he hasn't played this card, this card, this card, or this card yet, so I have to play in anticipation for those cards until he's played those cards. And there's like a few just very pivotal cards in both decks that you have to be playing with those in mind the whole time, and it's 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 beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Is this potentially going to be on your top 10 of yes. all time? Okay. So that's another thing, Matt. Because Brady, you've also <laughs> gone on another little journey. I did. I did. I can't remember. Yeah. It was actually after the recording of the last podcast, we had, a, I had a little bit more time on my hands. And so there's something that the audience should know about me. And that is that I hate 
um, like putting myself in a box, I guess is maybe the best way to explain it. So I, I don't like things like the Enneagram or personality tests or anything like that, that sort of like no. wants to go, Brady, this is how you are. Brady, do and you know I your can, love language? Yeah. Yeah. Love, you know, love language, um, and stuff like that. I just think like, you know, the, the human personality is just so much more complex than a set of numbers or, um, or, you know, your Harry Potter house or whatever. So one of the things that I, um, don't necessarily like to do, even though I love games is like put a number on the games or put a number on like how much I like it or to make a top, top, whatever of all time. That's like really hard. And so the other night I was like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to look at every game I've played and I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to grade them. I kind of wrote my own little grading system. Then I realized BGG has their own grading system. So I started using that. And uh, so I've played about 230-something games. Um, Different games. Yep. And I have two and only two perfect tens. I'm not going to spoil anything yet until we get to like our top 50 of all time whenever we eventually do that. I think we're going to try to do that towards the end of the year, even though that's kind of like right now. Um, So I had two perfect tens. I had like two 9.75s and then... Like a good chunk of nines, good chunk of eights, and then, you know, sevens and all that kind of stuff. I know know what your tens are, but don't spoil all the rest of uh, them for me. And we won't mention until we get to that point. The thing is, for me, I love, and I've been rating and ranking my game since day one. Yeah. Um, Because I loved keeping track. Even before we all started using the BG stats, I was just going into BG and uh, logging my plays there, ranking the games, putting in my expansions to the half worm. Um, because that way, like, hey, when it times to when it's time to get rid of a game or call some games, well, I can look. What are the games that haven't been played, and what are the games that are on the bottom of my ranking uh, that I don't yeah. care about it as did much? Awaken me to how many like okay games that I had. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm seven like, is probably seven to me is kind of that's okay, right in the middle. Okay, and that is probably my biggest clump of games yeah. are right and in that's the seven the ones, mark. Those are the ones that should be on the chopping block. Like if they're not in Well, eight, the ones below the seven are the ones that are on my well, chopping those block. those are the ones that you just don't buy in the first place. But I feel like the sevens are the ones you try and you're like, eh, these are okay. And maybe they'll stick around for a little while, but eventually those are going to be ousted. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I remember, you know, we talked about the very beginning of the year, um, some of our goals for the year as far as gaming. And mine was to keep, once I hit a hundred, keep my collection at a clean, solid 100. 100. 100. 100. Keep it real. Dollar bill. You know, yeah. ice in my veins. Um, <laughs> so right now, my collection, when you're including Kickstarters and games that I've already pre-ordered, is sitting at 113. Um, oh, man. 13 I, have got to go. Yeah, and I think when we started, uh, the year is close to around 90. So I, I had, do think you're spot on. I think 100 is just such a solid, well-rounded number for a game collection. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I know our premise was at the very beginning of the year, um, you know, are you really going to get a hundred different um, games played uh, in one year? And, you know, actually I was a little surprised because so far, at least for me, uh, if we're looking at kind of at our, um, our board game stats, um, I, right now I'm sitting at 332 plays. I think I may have missed some recently, but Ooh. that is comprised of 150 different games. Um, so obviously those aren't all mine or uh, from my collection. Um, 63 of them have been my copies of games, or at least I guess that games that I own. 
maybe something like that. Uh, but I know we, I've at least, at least by the way it's keeping track, 150 different games. Um, so I definitely think that's reasonable to say 100 games, or if you even wanted to go all the way up to say 150. But I think we've, I wouldn't say we've been crazy, like going over the top, like how many games we play. But, you know, we're, we're fairly active and consistent with playing games. Um, I know we love getting in new games to play. Um, yeah. But I and think we, it, we have like a decent backlog that, I mean, you have like, you, you just text us six or seven. You have like, yeah, six or seven games that we want to play. Um, and yeah, it's amazing. These people just keep coming out with new games and we yeah. can't catch up. Well, I actually have a really interesting thought on that. I was watching uh, Board Game Co. Uh, with Alex and he had a thought on that. But I was going to say, you know, I think 100 games in your collection is a good kind of goal because obviously you have other people in your game group who have games that you don't have that kind of fills in that. So you're still yeah, not probably, yeah, yeah. you're still not going to get everything probably played. And so a couple games that I have up on the chopping block and a couple that I have that some other people have, and I just don't think um, my copies heart one has hardly ever been played, let alone it's going to be played in the future. Um, so a couple that are the 13, just real quick that I have up on the chopping block. One is commit. Um, okay. Somebody has blood and sand, right? Yeah. Jacob, Jacob has blood in the sand. sand. Yeah. So obviously Easy. why would we ever play that? Yeah. Obviously also it's my, when I last time I played, this is the most okay, averageish game uh, I think I've ever like, played. Like dudes on a map game. Yeah, I, I don't because I I don't awesome. really care. I don't get too much emotion when I win. I don't get too much emotion emotion when I lose. It's just kind of perfectly there. So I'm not going to complain about it, but I'm also not going to get excited about it either. I've had Pandemic Legacy Season One sitting in my <laughs> shelf for about two years now. I've played the first two scenarios. Um, and that's all. And it's just been sitting there. I think it I technically could reset some of the sticky stuff and white out some stuff on it. Um, I don't see myself ever getting this played in the near future. And honestly, I don't really have a big desire to play through mm. pandemic when I know we have other campaign games that we are currently playing like in Gloomhaven and other ones coming down the track that I'm much more interested in the sitting through 13 or 12 I can see seasons. That. Didn't you play a couple of rounds of Pandemic Legacy? Yeah, I played it okay. once or twice. Yeah. Um, and so I, and obviously I don't remember if it's yeah. been so long, but I'd have I have no... Say, this one is a little unfortunate because I've already played through it or I'd love to play through it with you. Yeah. But um, it was great. And this is coming from someone, uh, and I want to be careful when I say this because I got a lot of this when we looked at... Um, uh, betrayal legacy, but from someone who just generally does not like le- uh, p- uh, cooperative games, yeah, Pandemic Legacy was amazing. Well, the thing amazing. is, I don't need to own it right now if it's not getting played. If in yeah. the future I have people yeah, or I, some I, family member that may want to play it, pick it up. There you yeah, go. Christmas gift. I am the same way. I have Risk Legacy uh, sitting on my shelf, and it's like. Yeah, I feel like eventually somewhere in the distant future, I need to put it in like a glass display with like a little hammer below it. Yeah. And it's like, in case you run out of games, well, you, yeah. you break out. In case out. of emergency, all your other <laughs> yeah. games don't work anymore, but they don't, yeah. But I think one thing is, I think Jacob still has Lord of the Rings risk um, that he's just has sitting on his shelf. And honestly, yeah. I'd be more inclined to play a game of Lord of the Rings. Lord you of the Rings, know, anything. I don't... I don't <sighs> I actually, I do want to play Risk Legacy, and this is... Have you played any of it? No, no. I don't believe I've even opened it. I'd be down for it if it wasn't, because I know how to play Risk. Yeah. Um, Can you just start? Can we literally just open up the box and start going? Also, I don't want... I don't know how many games are in it, but I don't want these two or three hour games of Risk. Yeah, see, I I don't don't think it would be that way. I grew up playing Risk 
And risk was like my sort of gateway into. I feel games. risk is such a fast, should be a fast paced game of people who know what they're doing. Cause yeah. Like, and it generally the, is a lot of people like just don't really play risk very well. Um, I feel like with the, you know, with the cards and stuff that cards make the game go by a lot faster. Yeah. So, and so yeah. I feel like people who know the game playing efficiently, you can compare to these other complex games that we're playing. You know what you're doing. You have your general objective go yeah, with it you're you're mr like designer guy was it designed by the same people who did um yeah, the it, pandemic and yep but it was okay. the first it was the first one first they did one. okay yep um so that so that's on there also mysterium yeah see you later yeah i have no There's desire so many, to play it so many games who do um the dixit style things yeah i think um I know you probably don't have this, but um, one of my buddies has, what is the other one? Obscurio. Obscurio. Mm -hmm. I think between those two, I much more lean towards Obscurio. Having that like trader Have you played Obscurio? I have, yeah. Okay. And that's where I remember when Obscurio was first coming out, they said this is more of the gamer's yeah. version of Mysterio. Just having the trader, I think, makes a world yeah. of difference. And I, I've played other people's copies of it, and I know every time we sit down and play, I'm just like, I'm just ready for this to end, uh, to move on to the next thing. <laughs> so to me, Mysterium is just one session Everyone else seems like, hey, we got to play Mysterium three, four times, five times in a row, then we're done with it. And oh, I'm just like, that's talk. way too much. I don't yeah, want to sit down. Um, so that's going to be out of here. The next one is Tapestry. You still have oh, a copy I, of Tapestry. I, the thing is, it's such a beautiful game. And I, it is. I don't you want anyone here. I don't want anyone throwing, Matthew, you have a bias towards designers or bias towards expensive games you spend money on because I want to love this game. I Everything about this game outside of the balance makes me want to play it and wants to get all the expansions for it from the components to the art, to the design, to the concept, to the theme, everything, city yep. building, engine building tracks, give it to me. Right. But mm -hmm. the, the balance is enough to just make you want to slam your head into a wall <laughs> and just hope it kills you. Yeah. So I did, did you get the news? I am the, uh, no, well, you have the plots employees. I do have that. So I am the like champion around here for tapestry and I think that makes me sound like I just love and adore the game. Um, I just like it a lot more than you guys do because you all just like have a disdain for the game. Um, and so when whenever we graded or whenever I was going through my grading, I, I think I scored Tapestry around an eight. I think it was like a seven. Point, your, I think it was a seven point seven five. Yeah, you're out of your mind, Brady. Um, and I, I like the game. Because here's the thing. When you are over there scoring 400 points playing this, and people get want to knock on me for playing the same strategy, Tapestry is a game to where no matter what faction you are, you can at least go for not, at least 90% of the same strategy every single game you play, regardless of faction. Um, which, hey, that's it, that's cool. But like the, the player interaction is so... Normally, I like, hey, I like my Euros, minimal player interaction... But the thing with Tapestry, there's nothing stopping you from just playing the same game over and over and over. And we could all identify, hey, Brady's going after this, or hey, Jacob or John or Steven is going after this, but there's nothing we can do. I know Steven, that's one of his big complaints, at least I hear him mention a lot, is there's no other than going and getting those monuments first, there's nothing you can do to really get in the way of your opponents a little bit to give and yourself I love an edge. It. And I love it. I love that there's nothing you can do to yeah, mess but, me up. But the thing is like, I at least like there's no variability in it. Cause even a game that may not be super interactive, they may have like a common card market that you can interact with. Or even a game like Rajas of the Ganges, it's not a super in your face, but there are some worker placement spots you can go in or you can pick up some tiles or maybe you go to a spot along the river. It's not 
crippling your opponent. It's not making them, oh, I can't win now. But it's at least forcing your opponent to at least think a little bit about what they're doing yeah. or prioritize this stuff. Is, this is... But, uh, so that's on, it's we'll on the chopping block. We'll just have to block. agree to disagree yeah. on this one. Um, you fine. own a copy of it. I don't yeah, need a yeah. copy of really it. There's not really a reason because I have the expansions and whatnot. Yeah. Um, the other one is going to be Merchant's Cove. Uh, this is going to join the... The group of Kickstarters, <laughs> uh, high hopes, uh, yeah, yeah. low payout from it. Uh, this is actually one of the first Kickstarters I got. It's cool and in you theory. Like just recently got it too, right? Like a few no, months it's, ago. It's early part of the year. It's the first of the year. Oh, really? Back in January. Oh, I guess you had been sitting on it. We played it a few months ago. I know. It was um, back in March, Brady. And six, seven months ago. Uh, Time has passed you by. That long ago. <laughs> uh, but, but it's a cool in concept. It's asymmetric. Uh, it's lighter asymmetric. It's like it, it plays on either some deck building, some like um, some different like I know there's one faction where it's kind of like a potion explosion type thing yeah, with yeah. marbles. I have to say this is this is one thing I'm going to say about this. And I love the dice tower. I have a little shrine up in my room of Tom Bass. They were they were how would be the, his name this game up. But they put Merchants Cove on their recent Christmas advanced. Strategy. List. Oh, I saw that video, Advanced but I haven't watched it yet. On strategy YouTube. list, and I next no, to like that's on no. Mars. So Merchants Cove was next to like no. on Mars, and I no. was like, "What is going on?" The right only now? way you could possibly say this is advanced is just that it's asymmetric. Like, yeah, well, that, and then they just everything in the kitchen sink. It's like, hey, a fork isn't complicated. A knife or a spoon or whatever else, a spatula. You know, those are easy to understand. But when you have five hundred forks and spatulas and knives in one box yeah it yeah. gets really convoluted and it's non-intuitive and it's when i and this is a game i will say is finicky i mean there's not yeah. a lot of depth outside yeah. of no. like you would never want to play this game at least for me and yeah. maybe i'm just I'm different okay with this one but i the only way, reason i would ever want to play this is to play a different faction and you play it once and for a done. faction and that's done yeah. and so the only replayability well, it comes is, with 47 factions in the yeah. box <laughs> um so but the thing is i was all i got we got that all in i've all there's a there's a bunch of extra factions too like there's a dragon rider where you're you're farming these little dragon eggs and stuff too oh. um that i have we just haven't opened up but and there's an oracle too which is kind of a roll and write puzzle type faction where you actually have dice and you have puzzles on a dry erase board and you have little bones that you throw in a cup and see which side they land on for bonuses she's like a little witch woman but it is uh, a very fun concept I it's a cool concept why. it's just it's just outside of the the artwork and the asymmetric there's not a lot of interesting depth yeah, or yeah. the the gameplay the, really the isn't that interesting with, the problem with this even in a in a casual crowd not the advanced strategy crowd you have to teach is, everyone these different yes, factions so like, the rules teach not only do you hard. have to learn them but it's like okay i'm going to teach yours give me 10 minutes okay now i'm going to teach yours give me 10 yeah. minutes that is a nightmare and it's like, not like that is a terrible yeah and it's not like root where you have to know what your the other players factions are doing you don't need to know what your yeah, opponent's doing, doing your but you still thing. have to sit there for 40, 50 minutes because yeah. I have to teach you everyone individual factions. Yeah. Um, I really right, have next? no desire to play anymore. Uh, next one up on there is Tiny Epic Tactics. I think I've mentioned this one before. It's another Tiny Epic Games, and it's uh, I, it, I no desire for the Tiny these. games can just get the heck out. If I see a tiny game, it's like... Yeah, I just no, don't understand no why. Because actually, when you unfold it and you get all your cards, because it's tiny in a box, but you have all these cards and everything that takes up a ton of room yeah, on the table. This is one that I fully agree. Tiny with, Epic Galaxies, uh, or and even the Galaxies Dark Edition or whatnot. I will say that one was actually really interesting. Some cool mechanics in it. Yeah. If you're wanting to at least find one Tiny Epic game that you would probably enjoy, 
you need to look at that one um, to at least say I have one in my collection or maybe. I mean, the thing is, they are nice and tiny. Put it in your backpack. Yeah. Put it in, keep this it in your is, car. This is something that I do fully agree with Tom Vassilon. Um, and and he has, I think, Tiny Epic Galaxies, but it's big. So I think they did make a big addition. They did made a big addition. I think specifically for him, they put it in a box because he oh, like, this is a one of one edition. Yeah, one of one. Um, okay. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I got Tiny Epic Dinosaurs, picked up one of the dinosaurs, Broke. and snapped its yeah. leg off, and I just can't handle. Like I mean, that is cr- that's ridiculous. I don't need a game, uh, the box to be three times bigger than Gloomhaven, right? That's an excess. But I don't need it to be so tiny that it compromises the ability to play the game either. Yeah. And then All also right. sacrificing. Uh, th- then I'm just going to mention a couple other ones that I'm not going to go into detail. Megaland. Um, yeah, we've never played that. Yeah, Terra Below, which is Tremors, the board game. Super finicky. Yeah. Not really that interesting. Yeah. Uh, Legacy of Dragonhold, which is <laughs> I've a... I've never even heard of this one. It's a choose your... It's sim- half role-playing, has choose your own adventure type game with a level. So it's a choose your own adventure game, but you create a character, you level up your character by doing things in it. Oh, kind of like, like your game right now. Or your like, your app. It's like that. What's the app you've been playing? Um, sorcery. Sorcery. Yeah. It's essentially, imagine that, but in board game form. Okay. So you have all these books for different adventures, but you also have a book for the actual town itself. You have a map, you have mystery items, you have a, an objective, you have characters that you level up, gain ability and items. I'll give it to you if you want. You can play it solo or with... When you and Tara have a date nights. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I'll give this game to you, Brady. Um, I'm glad you you're can looking tell out me. for yeah. it. Honestly, the game's really cool. I just don't... I'm just not in the situation where, to where... I guess I technically could play by myself, but I got video games for that. Yeah. Um, and so I, if I, I think it'd be perfect for you and a spouse playing it together. So I'll give that one to you uh, next time I have an ability to pick it up. But those are the games that are... On the chopping on block, the leaving chopping block. the well, they are leaving the collection. I'll either any uh, any of the guys listening, if y'all yeah. want to pick these up, I'll give it to you, or I'll give you the friends and family discount. The I don't rest know, I'm going to put online to sell. I don't know where my collection is, but I might have to give a uh, a chopping block update. I have managed to get rid of a couple of them. But. Yeah. All right. Well, Matthew, do you want to jump right into our first player discussion? Yeah. So first player is something that can be. A second thought for a designer. Yeah. The, hey, just randomly determined first player. That's it for the rest of the game. Or to have some quirky question like, yeah, who we, was the last one to eat Chinese food or, or something Or who like was that. the last one to, pl- to work in the garden, right? I think yeah, if you're yeah. playing Caverna, I think that may, might be one. Um, or first player can be a ongoing mechanic mechanism. mechanism in the game, something yeah. that plays into strategy. And a and lot it, provides a lot of tension. Tension. It yeah. evolves throughout the game, and it can really make or break different uh, situations and positioning yeah. in the games. And I feel like every game that's had something like this, at least the ones that I put here on my list are games I either that are good or play games I really, really enjoy. Um, and I realize and this is something that adds a lot of interesting depth and strategy without complexity to yeah. a game, which yeah. is always a plus yeah. when you can have that. Um, and so, and I, yeah, I think for me, there are like a game is, almost always elevated by adding a first player mechanism rather than just like the random first yeah. player start thing. What, it just provides so much tension and so much like, um, like, uh, like irks when you are, uh, being, when you're last 
or whatever, and you're, you know, missing out on so much stuff and you're like, oh, I've got to get yeah. into first position. Um, two ways that first player can be done. And, and one of them is not really a mechanic. You know, the one where whoever's in last goes first and that's just it, like reverse turner, because you're not strategically outside of maybe a Gizia where you may pick up that one card. I don't whoa, know if you whoa, put whoa, that whoa, on your whoa. list. Spoilers, man. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this is not a mechanism because outside of that one card, there is no point in the design. game. It's design. Well, there's no know. there's no point in the game or do you ever purposely take fewer points so you can go first. I don't yes. think... Other I, than a Gizia. Igeezy with that one card, which you're technically not losing points, but there's other games that have this. Yeah. Um, whoever's just each round, you just do reverse turn order for whoever's in last. That's to me, that's not really, even in that situation, you're never purposely giving up victory points to maybe change your turn order once. Yeah. It's not really, it just happens like, oh, well, this just happens to be our I turn think, order for the next round. Yeah. Before we get into our list, I think there is a, there is a sweet spot in, a lot of your games or a lot of worker placement games with first player where it should be in my mind where if you are fourth, you should be wanting to take first player after at least a couple of turns. But if you are in second, it shouldn't be worth it so much that you'd want to take it in that position. You, I, the ideal place should be second place yeah. because you shouldn't, you, you don't want to have to go for the first player. Like the first player should be, Get first player and a little something, but well, it's not necessarily I guess in worth my mind, it outside of that. In my mind, when I'm looking at this, I guess we'll just stick on a Gizia. If I'm 20 points ahead of you, Brady, obviously I'm going to be going fourth because I'm ahead. You're going uh, first because you're behind. I'm not going to just sit there for an entire round to let you gain on me, so that then oh now I'm first player. I'm, I pick games to where you actively make decisions. Everyone does to influence their turn order i feel like in a game like that you're just trying to score points as much as you can going first is just a bonus if you happen to be behind the second thing that i abhor and i think is just very bad design and not thoughtful is uh and i don't and i didn't include any of this in my list because there may be games to where turn order or you can go to be first player or do stuff um especially in a very tight games i know in lighter games it doesn't really matter as much but uh, you take first player or you you may be bidding for first player, but it's whenever you're first player and then now someone else is second and someone else is last, uh, regardless. I like mechanisms that give a variable first player. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example uh, for this. In Crystal Palace, okay, in Crystal Palace, um, how turn order works is that everyone bids or everyone spends money at the beginning of each round to decide who goes uh how much because you have dice you can make the dice whatever you want as far as value wise but then that's how much money you have to spend yeah how turn order works is whoever spent the most money obviously making their dice more as a kind of a cons or whoever spent the least as a consolation i believe i may be getting this backwards backwards but it's either whoever spends the most or the least gets to place their dice first okay so that's an intentional yeah but that's the only person that goes first or that has their turn order decided the next person who goes second third and fourth is not determined based on what they did or didn't bid it's just it goes from that one person on so you could have yeah so you could have actually spent the second most money if it is if the turn order goes by how much you spend but you could theoretically go fourth in turn order, even though you spent the second most. We house so you rule. don't like that. I don't like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I we it, house. It's th- better practically because 
it's it's a smoother experience where you're just like okay, yeah. so we house goes. rule it to where we do go in the turn order we bid yeah and even the designer that makes they mentioned sense. so it's it's not like in a ticket to ride level game where someone goes to pick first player and then that's your new turn order those are fine but when everyone is actively bidding or spending money and you spent the second most money and drastically more than the person in third or fourth but yet you end up going last yeah yeah i hate that yeah yeah uh, okay, well, why don't so, you jump in with your first game? My very favorite tur- dynamic turn order. Are in you going to start with your very favorite? These are in no particular order, but this just happens <laughs> to be my very favorite. I'm naming okay. it off first, so you I'm can't so, take I'm it from me. I'm starting off with a softball here. Okay, go ahead. well, I'm, t- I'm taking this one so you don't get it from me, and I love it. It had so much tension. The base game uh, had the problem I just mentioned with Crystal Palace to where just whoever claimed that first player... That's just the new turn order, and people can actually take it to their advantage because you take turn order whenever you finish or tap out of the round, and that's Terra Mystica. Um, in Terra okay. Mystica, it has a dynamic turn order every single round um, because you, the, you get to keep playing in a round or in a turn structure as long as you want, as long as you have the resources or you yeah. choose to do so. But that means it, you will go last. If in, you stay longer. Yeah. So I love the concept. You're staying more, you're having more actions, but you're going to be going last uh, because one of the things that can incentivize you to passing, finishing the round, and then being higher up on the turn order track is that there are certain bonuses, um, like little once per round bonuses or scoring little markers that you can claim to go into the next round with. And so that influences when you want to do it. Um, and especially in a four or five player game, and you know other people are gunning for special actions on the board, being the first in the next round to be able to claim those actions first is huge. So it's like, I'm willing to give up an action or two this round so I can be first next round, get a better yeah. version of that action. Yeah, no, this is a great one. I did not put it on my list because I figured you would have it, but it is it, it is a, a main mechanism in the game. Like yeah. you, the entire round, you have sort of in the back of your mind, if not the front of your mind, when you are going to pass because of that turnover yeah. thing and the bonus marker thing. Those It's such a tight game that every little decision yeah. matters. And so, and so how the base yeah. game worked, let's say I passed. Was it just a rotating Yeah, deal? so I yeah. passed first, and I so the first player order goes to me. Everyone else knows that. So if Steven is sitting next to me, he knows that no matter how many actions or turns he takes in this round, he will be going second. So he can just hit it as hard as he can, doing as much as he can, yeah. and then he still gets to go second. Uh, and that was kind of a strategy people went with, but it didn't make sense as far as yeah, the yeah. logic and balance. And now it's like, like you mentioned, t- halfway through the round or two-thirds in the round, you start thinking about, okay, how many more? And you look, you, you're you doing this during the game. You're looking at your opponents, or at least I am. I said, I think Jacob has two or three so, yeah, more he's turns. Gotta, he's got to do this and this. And he so, also, he's yeah. not going to just let those resources sit there. So I know that if I do this in time, I'll be able to claim turn order in front of him. Yeah. Claim that bonus. Now, sometimes you And then want- Jacob goes... Well, Matthew thinks I'm doing that, but I need that bonus tile so bad that I am willing to put off everything in order yeah. to get it. And, and then that just throws you. And, <laughs> and, and the third level is this. If Jacob has a bonus that I want, that is only available. I have to wait him out. And when yeah. he passes, he grabs a new one, puts in his old one. Yeah. For me to get that old one, I have to survive longer than him. So sometimes you're just trying to... Oh, it's fantastic. And yeah. it, it impacts your play so much that like what you're getting itself, like, oh, I fit... I went first. You're not getting 10 victory points, but it gives you strategic options into the next round. And it's an integral part and you can't win the game if you're not thinking about it. And it's my very favorite kind of turn order mechanism integrated into the game. 
Terry right. Mystica. So I'm going to go with a little bit of a a little bit of a softball, softball. An un- underhand one here. Um, and this is a game that I played this weekend, and it just kind of the first player mechanism was very pleasant. It almost um, kind of gave me the idea for this topic in the first place because I was just like, oh, this is like pretty unique, um, but pretty simple. And that is in Azul. Um, so do you remember how the first player works in Azul? Yeah, the first player goes to whoever claims from the middle from first. From the middle first, yes. And, and, and also, so, some people don't play it right. That first player uh, tile actually goes into your negative point row. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. And so, I, I, th- I think this is just a beautifully elegant mechanism. Um, usually, the first person to, um, you know, dig into that pool it gets like a pretty good benefit. Like they usually get like four or five tiles to like fill up a bottom row or something. Um, And so that's pretty good. And usually if you play it right, well worth that one negative one point. Um, And I, I, and, and the, the negative one point is usually well worth um, just being able to go first um, on the next round. Cause usually there's at least like one, tile that has like three of the same tiles in it at least and so you kind of want to be able to claim those later on Um, but yeah this one's just super elegant and they it's one of them where they could have easily done like the rotating first player oh yeah very easily but they just added this and i think it's so much more interesting so it is more interesting i guess for me i i will never i always go for what is the best selection of tiles first and then if it just happens to be first player tiles included with that, then so be it. I don't think I ever really, at least for me, the yeah, way I play. You I, never really like go for first player in that game. You're never like, oh, you know, and first player is not the most crucial thing ever or whatever. But um, but yeah, I just think this one is one that could have easily been. Yeah, because you don't know what's going to come out the next round. Yeah, but yeah. it is, it's different and it's, it's unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I can't really think of. Another one that's like similar to Azul. Yeah. And normally the first player, I mean, the only way you would ever get that as a first player, if you literally just grab that in the middle, because the, each round starts with, that's the only thing. Yeah. In the middle. In the middle. Mm-hmm. And so normally the first or so second player is never goes picking like, it up. It usually goes like almost all the way around at least once before somebody dips their toes in the middle section. So yep. Yep. That's Azul. Very good. Very good. So my number two, and this I think this is way up on my list of really interesting mechanisms for first player, and it's one that you're constantly, at least when I'm playing it, uh, thinking about what am I doing and what is this going to cost me, and am I spending too much for my turn order? And that is in brass. Um, okay. Brass, your turn you order heavy boys. Yeah, brass. The turn order is reverse of how much you spend, um, and it's kind of with the concept of. If you're spending, because you can do a, you can take a lot of debt early on in the game. You can spend a lot of money for really big actions, but ter- if you, whoever spends the most money is going to go last, second most money, second to last, and so it's not like it, it doesn't kind of you went spent the most money, you're going to go last, and then go around from there. It's everyone is seated based on the money they spent, um, but it's something that you're constantly thinking about and looking at, and how much money can I spend and still not spend as much as my opponent because sometimes going first can be really really advantageous in brass and you're constantly when i'm playing it looking at the stacks and how much have i spent how much can i afford to spend because what's really nice is that um if you you can actually strategize this to where one round you spend like big daddy war bucks right Mm -hmm. you spend all of it now you're going to go last 
But the way you can strategize this to give yourself an advantage is now I'm going last, but then I will purposely make sure I spend the least. So I will go first in the next round. So you almost get two back to back turns. Oh, yeah. By going last and then strategize it to where you spend the least, maybe take a little bit less, but getting back to back actions in brass can be huge. And I love trying to vie for that little combo within turn order, which I think is fantastic and adds a lot. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say as much tension because obviously you can choose how much you want to spend, but it gives a little weight to your strategy. Yeah. Um, And so it's fantastic. So that's my number two, Brass, Birmingham specifically. Okay. So my next one, um, and I'm kind of, I'm probably going to go a little bit in reverse turn order here, but mine is um, a Game of Thrones, the board game. This is on my list with Komet as possible because Komet has a similar thing. The way you, you get it is different. Do you? Okay, yeah. So essentially what this is, is you, and there are probably a, a few different games in the same uh, space here, but you bid on, you have these like PowerPoints that you accumulate uh, throughout the game and you bid on three different tracks. But one of those tracks is the Iron Throne track, which is the turn order track. Um, and it's pretty huge in uh, a Game of Thrones, the board game, because um, uh, number one, the the turn order track also breaks every ties in the game except for combat. And so if you, um, that's the first track you bid on and the next two tracks you bid on. Well, more than that, Brady, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it's whoever wins the Iron Throne, they seed, they get to determine the order for the for the factions, don't they? No, no. It's just it's okay. the next one. See, that's where I was getting it confused because that's there's another ability where you can break ties, then you're able to adjust it. Because a lot of times, a lot of oh, people yeah, will just yeah. bid zero. If, right? Yeah, yeah. So they yeah they break every other die. So they don't necessarily seed it. But if, like, let's say I bid three, you bid two, and then everybody else bids zero, then yes, I would determine And a lot order. of times, at least if you're playing a full game, there's at least three people or so yeah. that... Don't bid anything because you lose your money and yeah. you may be in the last anyways. And I was I was noted that on my list as an honorable mention. Komet does something similar to that. Is whoever is in last for victory points, they get to determine turn order for everybody. Okay, yeah. Which is um, kind of, it's not a it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it similar thing, kind of similar concept. Yeah, and so in so not only do you break ties, which is pretty powerful in that game, but you a lot of times. Um, you and you get to re, uh, resolve your to- your battle order tokens or whatever first, and so um, you can resolve your raid orders, which sort of disrupt enemy orders uh, first. So that's super powerful. And then, let's say you and I are on the board, and you are trying to march on me, and I'm trying to march on you. If I get to go first, it's almost like a, a big offense is the best defense. Um, if I get to go on march on you first, that takes away your order and so you like if i take over your thing first you don't get to retaliate and so um yeah so this is bidding um and there's probably a few other games in here but notably um a game of thrones is my favorite one when it comes to bidding for turn order yep add that on honorable mention with commit kind of combo in case you took anything else that i mentioned okay i don't think you will here we have one that may overlap i'm surprised you haven't said it yet i've, I've um, got one uh, that you probably have so yeah, my third one here is a new one, recent uh, in plays, um, but I love the turn order and how it works with the strategy, and that's Kanban EV. 
It's my favorite Lacerda. It's also my only Lacerda that I've played. Yeah. Um, but I think turn order in this is fantastic um, because essentially how this works is that there are five different sections uh, for turn order. Each section has four or five different little mini spots in them that you can go for a bonus resource. And turn order is from rightmost all the way back to left. And so turn order, not only is it per section, but it's overall. Um, but what you get to do, obviously at the very beginning of the game, you get to turn order, you randomly decide who's going to place their pieces in the first little box. If you place your piece closer to the front of the box in one of the sections, you will go first, but you get worse kind of starting bonuses. If you go towards the back in the same box, you get better resources, but you also go last. But how you move up to the next group of bonuses and the section two and three, four, and five is by going up certification uh, tracks in each kind of work section of the factory. It's kind of like a training track that you get to go up on. And whenever you hit a cert certification in that track, you get to go up to the next group. But the interesting thing is, let's say we're all in group one. I'm going first. I get to my first certification. I get to grow up to the second tier of boxes. I now have an option. I can guarantee myself that I will continue to be first or do I still go first for this next round, but take a little bit better bonus and someone else could pass me. And so it's kind of this constant game of leapfrog. Do you want to constantly make sure you're in first? And the thing is you can get the best bonuses and go at the back of each tier. But if you make sure you're getting those certifications, you can always be a tier above everyone else getting the best bonuses along the way and still be first. Um, so it adds a little bit of a race to a little leapfrog to a little bit, you know, how long can I kind of uh, game the system to where I get a better bonus, but still get to go first, but then someone just leapfrog me because I'm at the very back of that tier. Yeah. Um, and so it's a constantly changing uh, first player track and you have a lot of control over when and how you do it. Yeah. And you got burned a couple of times the last time we played where Jacob would, would leapfrog just in front of you and would... Yeah, but, but what's really important is when you do that because it affects the turn order for the next round. Um, and the way the game works is that um, you can't... I'm trying to think of... Well, I guess it depends on your player count too um, with Sandra taking up a spot and everything. Sandra. Sandra! Yep. And so the thing is you may need somebody to leave a section of the factory so that you can then go there. So sometimes you don't want to yeah, be yeah. first. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I would end up going first, hoping someone else would take it for me. But because I'm going first, when you... Now you can't Yeah, because it's not like a normal worker placement where you take all your workers off. The workers stay on the board so that when I go to now do my new worker placement spot, I can't go where I was. But then other people's workers are still on the board filling up spots. So sometimes it's not best to go first, which is also great tension. So that's okay. my third one, Kanban. All right, so EV. I'm going to go ahead. My next one, I'm going to take this one before you do. I'm surprised this one hasn't been on your list already. Power Grid? And that is Pillars of the Earth. So, Are you serious? <laughs> yes, I'm serious. Brady. This one isn't on your we list? We played this game. I, I, I don't even know what the first player mechanic in this. <laughs> we played this game two years ago, and it was a... I know. A, a forgettable making, experience, and no, we all no. said, let's never play this again. No, it's making a resurgence in my mind. I haven't even played it. In your in, mind, In maybe. my mind, yeah. In my in mind, reality. I'm like, I want to play this game again. And you know what it is? It is solely for the first player mechanism in this game. And it's sort of a wonky first player mechanism um, where the one person is going to be um, pulling everyone else's pieces out of a bag. Um, and 
is placing it on this little uh, track that's a money track. And so if they pull your piece out first, you can go first, but you're going to have to pay out the nose for it. It's like, you know, you might have to pay, I don't know what it is exactly, but you might have to pay 10 coins. Um, And so they're going to continue pulling people's pieces out of a bag and placing it on this track. And eventually it's going to get to a place where someone goes, okay, now I only have to pay five coins to go first. Okay, that's worth it. I'm going to pay five coins and now I'm going to be able to go first. And so, because eventually once they pull everyone's out of the bag, it just goes in reverse turn or in reverse of however that is. I remember this. So they keep... So they keep pulling player pieces out and you have the option of either saying, you know what? You pulled my piece out. I can choose to go first or I not. I can buy it. Yeah, I can buy that What about piece. the second, third, and fourth? How does so, that work? No, it, it just keeps going. And everyone has like three or four pieces. I can't remember exactly. Um, what really stinks is all your three or your four of your pieces get pulled at the very beginning. At the very beginning. And so, it, yeah, and that can stink, but it also means that like you, if you really need it and you know, you can have a pretty good economy in that game. And if you really need it, you can go first and you can get, you know, certain spots and stuff like that. So it um, is interesting, but it doesn't lift the rest of the game up from mediocrity. um, I am going going to slightly disagree with you there. I think it's been a long time since we last played. So let's take it up with Grand Slot. It is a little bit of an older game and it does have that amazing round counter where you build that cathedral. Well, remember that part at least, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> if, if we need, when we make a list of like top ten games, I don't, I don't think we've done this before. Top ten games to that need a reprint or a second edition. This is this one on the list. That that one yeah. needs to be on the list because that now that I'm remembering, it is interesting um, kind of mechanism yeah. there for turning. And again, player this order. one is th- this but is it's also not very the random. Game. I don't. Yep, yeah, it's very random, but it's like you, you know, if you need it, you can do it. Yeah, it. I, I like it. It's interesting. It it definitely. For me, at least, if it was like, let's say this was a rotating um, player player order thing, first player token, um, then it would be a much less interesting game overall. Like it would it would not even be in the conversation. But because of this for one first player yeah. turn order mechanism, I think it makes the game so much more interesting. So that is Pillars of the Earth. I stole that from Matthew because I know it was on his list. So what's your next one? What's your uh, backup? <laughs> yeah. Wow. You really <laughs> crushed my heart there, Brady. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this one. Um, and this one is the turn order in this is central to what and when you do in this game. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned it already. And that's power grid. Yeah. So this was, you know, I told, I was saying I was kind of going in um, reverse order here with this is, this is my favorite one, but yeah, power grid is, the turn order is just central and laced throughout the entire game. Yeah. And um, it changes like during the round, it changes too. Yeah. And this is similar to that, um, the mechanism you were talking about earlier, where it's just like the last player goes first. But this one's got like a couple of different twists in it. Um, so much so to where um, everyone, it is affecting your gameplay. Like yeah. you are going, okay, well, I don't necessarily want to like build another thing because that's going to put me in first place yeah. right now, and I, that's not where I want so to be. The three things that it affects is the order in which we bid for the new power plants, which I uh, don't which is think... crucial. Uh, see, I don't think that is as crucial as, as much as the other ones because the thing I is... I think it, it is, cause, it, well, especially in the beginning of the game because they drop down in order, and so that yeah, last person 
can hold out and get a really good power play. Yeah, but I mean, you could also pass on different stuff. And if there is a good one early, if you're willing to pay for it, you can. It's not, I mean, it's important, but it's not, I don't think it's as important the other ones because the other one, which I think is, is second most, is buying resources. Yeah. Um, especially if you're playing in a higher player account game, which we mentioned previously in the games we love at particular player accounts. I love this at six players, but that resource market was tight, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. which I think has made the game even better. And yeah. so... Buying Being, for you know first slash last to buy, um, and what we mean by that is if you are in first place, you buy the resources last, and the market in um, Power Grid is very thematic. It is you know with the more demand of a certain resource, the more expensive it is. So you yeah. know if Matthew goes is in last and buys oil first, he gets it for a dollar a pop. Where once everybody buys it, I have to pay five dollars a pop, and that can make or break you oh, from being yeah, able absolutely. to do stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the third most important is the order in which you actually buy your power plants, because this or isn't your a game your cities, your cities your that your power plants can can power. Um, because this isn't where yeah, this like is huge too. Yeah, because yeah. this isn't like where oh you do one city, then you do one city, and then you do one city, and they get back to me. When someone does their city action, it is all or nothing. Yeah. So someone and can, they can just completely cut you off. Yeah. Um, and so someone could literally be saving up a just buku's amount of money and just literally lay a track of cities that they now claim yeah. that just cuts you off. So to me, like having turn order, and what I loved about a six player game is because. Um, it was kind of split off. Like I wasn't worried about you in our six player game going ahead of me because I knew that you couldn't. Yeah. You're on the other side. You're of the on the map. side of the map. Yeah. But I also needed to worry about, I think Steven was the one or Jacob were right next to me. Um, but I was still watching you because what you did in my influence them on the other side. So like mm -hmm. you were touching Steven on one side, I was touching Steven on the other one. So not, I wasn't worried about your turn order, but your turn order in relation to Steven may affect what he was doing with me. So like being able to go first and grab because sometimes you don't go for the cheapest cities. You go for the cities that give you positions later on yeah, yeah. that cut off your opponent or, yeah, and then you can kind of get them in the back. Positions that are like relatively cheap for you, but would be like... Ridiculously expensive for your opponent. For your opponent to you, sometimes like that, yeah. you do it in a way, at least in my mind I am. I'm so, making a move that intimidates them from, so like from committing. Yeah, there's like, that's yeah, too yeah. rich for my blood. They're not going to commit. Yeah. So like you and go sometimes hard. sometimes they're so desperate that they do. And they're like, I'm I'm getting in there. And then you're like, man, I should have done something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I love this game so much at the six-player count yeah. because it still plays as funny because if you fast. were to say that with a bunch of elite Eurogamer people, they would be like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like no one, no one says they like Power Grid at six players. Well, first off, it's it's a what, what would it you call scales, it? Is it a medium weight euro? A high medium weight. It's I wouldn't say it's heavy, but yeah, it's yeah. mid. It maybe in the mid heavy. Maybe yeah, we're just a talking about three and a half weight deal. Let's see. Yeah, Wait, pull it talk, up. Keep talking. I'll, I'll I may say up. my guess it's around the three and a half ish. Three and uh, a half. Maybe three point two five. Yeah, I'm maybe three point three point two five. But the game length. Is relatively the same at the higher player count because you know the game in condition of who when you power this number of cities, um, that ends the game. But that changes in a six player count, so the the game length is the same. But I think the tension that it adds for the market, the bidding, and also turn order just ramped all those things up. It's three point two seven. Okay, mm. close. Man, we're getting three point two five. We're, we're getting, getting real good scary. Good. Let's start putting money on it. <laughs> um, but another game uh, that was kind of on honorable mention is it's not one of my official ones, but Cyclades kind of has that kind of we love bidding. I understand bidding. like as a group yeah. we love bidding. 
bidding when it comes to turn order. And essentially, that's kind of how the power grid in a pseudo way works because uh, your turn order, then you look at how many cities did you power, that's going to affect your turn order going to the next round and some changes. It's fantastic. Honestly, at five or six player, I'll never hesitate. Hey, let's bring out power grid. I just wish they would give it a legit second edition. Yeah, I totally agree. With, you, it, with maps, like you said, I don't need a map board completely tailored for a specific player count because the game itself is variable with different regions. Yeah. But if they had a, hey, six player counts for this city, these for this map, these are the city, the regions. For this map of six players, these, these are the regions. Yeah, it doesn't tell you which I, regions I are optimal. I want a three to four player map, five to six player map, and then like a... A two, well, two player map would be fine, even if it's just like an expansion. Yeah, because um, I know like Concordia has a ton of maps. Yeah, the yeah. thing is, the way well, they Power Grid has a ton of maps too. They do. I guess oh, that's true. A ton of them. Yeah. Ton of them. Yeah. The thing is, I I'm okay with the system where like there's a ton of sections based on player counts. You only play with so many of them, but I wish it gave you an optim optimal recommended. These are the combination of regions. It yeah. literally would take three sentences in a rule book. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we've played some variations of the game to where the cities or regions that we did or didn't play with in a certain player count really changed yeah, the mouse no, in a I wonky way. In power, I really wish they would, yeah, update this version. I hate I'm in power just, have you looked you on, have to like, you know, put something on the board. We're like putting like a, it's, I don't, like, it's easy to forget and we've yeah. played games where people didn't realize that this was off limits and they completely backed themselves into a corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so even if they had a little overlay of it, That'd be nice, but I'm sure, I don't know if you looked, I haven't looked yet, I don't know the game, on BGG, I guarantee you there are people that have said, you know, the based on this map, these are the optimal regions for player counts. That If that's not out there, I would be completely shocked, so we definitely need to look at that next time before we play, but Power Grid, I think, is it's integral to how you play the game. So yeah, it's, it's that's is, my choice. This is, well, how do you say this? Is it Friedman and Fries? Friedman and Fries? Yeah. Um, yeah. Friedman... We need a new edition of this game. Has he made any other games? Can you click on his name real quick? Yeah. Oh, no. I think he's a pretty pretty well-known I can't designer. think off the top of my head. Click on it and then this look at his... A, uh, then you scroll down to his top games and then you click on that. Says, and uh, notable game. notable games. Um, he did that 504 project. Oh, thing. yeah. There's like 504 different games you can make with these components, I think, is essentially was the concept of the game. And like people could design their own little mini games with the components they have yeah, in this yeah. one board game. I don't know that that yeah that, that one didn't, it didn't, didn't yeah. fly super well, but all right. So that was that was yours. Yeah, Power Grid. That okay. was my number four. So yeah, that was my number one. I'm just gonna finish off with a little bit of a softball, but this is like like the standard worker placement one. I have like just Lords of Waterdeep on here, or the, another one that's a little more interesting is Viticulture. Viticulture, you. Oh my gosh. If we're making a list of worst player order games, this would be number one. <laughs> Nothing makes me more frustrated than the same well, person not... going first every single season. Wait, wait, no. And and the same person doesn't go first in every single season. Does oh. the turn order change per season? Per Oh, oh, well, yeah, every no, single sorry, season sorry, as they per go. Per season, yes. Yeah. Um, well, it's not necessarily the first player order mechanism that bothers you. It's the fact that you have to wait for every season. So that, but the well, first player mechanism to me, to me, when you're first player, you get to be first player five times, four times, or however many. Yeah. And, but I think the thing, the thing I'm talking about is that little little bidding track where if you go first, you're 
you're just going first and you don't get any other benefit. But if you go last, you're getting more benefits as you go. And I guess I should mention this is like with the Tuscany expansion. Essential uh, edition. The essential edition Tuscany expansion. I actually thing. like that. That That yeah. is okay with me. Um, and then sometimes you look at it, it's like not the player order you go in that that you want to look at. It's the bonuses. The bonuses, yeah, yeah. And so you can you kind of have to wait. Well, do I want to go first, or would I like to? Does you know if first order doesn't matter to me as much, then I might as well go down here and get some more of these bonuses um, for going later on. Um, so that and then like yeah, so the standard worker placement is just there's a there's a spot on the board you can go there, take first player, and they usually give you like a little consolation prize for taking first player. Um, and while that's not the most exciting thing, it is definitely better than a um, than a rotating first player. And again, I think the tension here should be that if you're in second, you are totally satisfied with the, you know, being second and, and the first player or the person to your right or whatever, um, you know, taking the time and the sacrifice to take that spot. Where if you're in fourth or last or whatever, you're sitting there going, okay, well, either I need to take first player or the person to my right needs to take first player. Um, the only thing that's a little bit of a bummer is, is yeah, like where you physically sit at the table here matters. Because if you sit at the table where someone is like just gung-ho about being first player and you're to their left, then you're just reaping the benefits of them always taking first player, which... You know, I thought in this game, of, I thought in Viticulture, when you get to the end, it's whenever you get to the end that you then choose your new player. Yeah, yeah that's in Viticulture. Sorry, I was talking about Lords of Waterdeep. Oh, Lords and, of Waterdeep. And other just standard work placements where there's a uh, there's a spot on the board. Brady, I want to play Viticulture again with you. Yeah? Will you allow us to play it to where you can go, like the, like with Izgizia? I want to play Viticulture the same way you play. we play Izgizia. You can go as far as you want. You just can't go backwards your seasons whenever you do that. That would be interesting. You still have turn order. You still like, here's the trick though. If you skip a season, you don't get the, you could, we could, it's however you want to do it. Cause like, you know, obviously in the normal game, if you don't put any workers in a section for a season, you still get the bonus based on, you know, if you selected a position in it, you could still have all that. We it just have make it. the game go by faster. I will say there is in the, in the Tuscany expansion of the Essential Edition, I can't even believe I have to say that much explanation for that. Um, there is a special worker that allows you to go anywhere on the map. It is just one worker. Yeah, but I don't. I love the idea you can't go backwards. That yeah. adds all the tension. Oh, I love that mechanism. And the thing is, I love, there's a lot of things in the game that I really like. You can go after contracts. You can go after just selling the wine. Like, there's different ways to score points. There's a little area control thing in the bottom left of the the Moors or the Tuscan or whatever. There's some unique worker that gives you little power up abilities. You get to draft at the beginning of the game. That's great. Um, yeah. Also, there's some really cool. There's some really cool 3D printed upgrades for this game as well as stickers, Brady. Well, that, I have the the player marker official like wine bottles. I know, Those but I'm talking about like awesome. so. I'm talking about the buildings. So like the the guy who I got all my like root. Well, the, the buildings are wooden and they're like or, shaped. Yep. They're so great. the option for that is really detailed stickers you can place on all those. Oh my gosh, Brady, Brady they look fantastic. The stickers. I the love stickers. stickers put on your oh meeples gosh. and these buildings because it brings it to life. I don't go, know if you looked at them. Go by, go through McDonald's and get a little Happy Meal and you can get a little toys. You can put. Stickers I don't know. On. Listen, these guys, they they 
get on my case so much for wanting to put stickers on just plain meeples, but it adds more details. And everything we do, we love adding immersion into like, our games. I like when they are screen printed. And I wish like they were screen printed, so, but they're not. Well, the some yeah, some of the ones in the Tuscany expansion are screen printed. But I'm talking about the buildings. Yeah, yeah. Not screen printed. Not screen printed. I'm, yeah, I'm essentially like they look. They is, look really good. They're not goofy. They're they the added immersion. Like you can identify these buildings a lot easier, more than just the very generic shape of them. But yeah, the stickers that, that is true. Some of them do look very. They similar. look similar. Yeah, the stickers. Like the, the the small seller has like a small door, and the large seller has like yeah. a slightly These stickers make them door. look different. Yeah, and yeah. they identify. And I've actually read online like there's a lot of. Because some of those, when we play, the buildings don't seem to serve a lot of purpose. But I've read online people like honing on to different strategies with certain buildings. So the thing is, I want to like this game more. I want to play it more. It's just that is the one thing. I would you at least one time to see how it goes. Just yeah, take sure. take yeah. that I restriction mean, off. If it of gets it. you to play Viticulture, I'm I'm down. So. But I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like honestly, I don't want to play a game if it messes it up. But do you think they would break any of the rules or concepts of the game? Well, other than you're breaking the the rules of time and space thematically, like I'm sitting here in spring and you're leapfrogging over into winter. But like, I feel like the only Come reason on, that's in the game is to help keep players on pace and to quote unquote guide them on what they should do. Yes. I do. I do think it is very annoying in the game that someone more or less has to be like the pacemaker and go, Hey everybody, we're in summer. Do you want to do anything in summer? Do you want to do anything in summer? Are you passing in summer? Okay. Now we're in spring. But All right. Could blah, you blah, just yeah. imagine the tension though, Brady <laughs> of, and how gut wrenching it would feel that you didn't optimize your rotation of wine and your cards to where you have to spend a lot of time at the very beginning in spring getting resources while other people already have their engines going, leaping down to winter and fall and getting all those juicy spots because you, as a manager of your vineyard, have failed to optimize yes. your production. I did not bend no. the the will of time and space to I make sure that I it, went. It could just yeah. literally all fall apart. It's worth a shot. But worth I think it shot. could add some really cool tension. And if it works... We could just send a little email to Stonemeyer. Say, yep. hey, we have an official variant that you can package in with your game, put our names on it, and give us a little royalty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> All okay. right. Well, I think that's going to kind of wrap out for our first player mechanisms. I think we definitely had some really great games that implemented this various different ways. Obviously, there's games that don't do it very well. Um but the thing is, kind of, we have a little announcement of something we're bringing in. Because, yeah, yes. you know, we're also talking about let us know what you're thinking. What are your thoughts yeah. on these different games and we're Matthew, viewing? There's, there's a well-known, not-so-well-known secret that you and I are old men for our age. We, and we are not good at the social medias. We are very not. old. <laughs> if, you, if you all only heard us, how much were, we rant and rave over TikTok. Over TikTok. Oh, um, man. The, TikTok is adding age yeah. to, the, adding years to my age. Well, the thing is, we don't, it's not like we don't know what's going on. The thing is, we because we know what's going on, it drives us crazy. Yeah. Like, obviously, the most famous TikToker is Charlie D'Amelio, um, and <laughs> yeah. her family is having a reality TV show. That Matthew is very excited style. about. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we would decide just to troll Brady because we know how much TikTok drives him crazy. And so we <laughs> yeah. in our group chat and stuff were posting videos of these trailers for the new show coming out, trying to hype it up, talk about how we're excited, how this is so much better than shows Brady loves and stuff. And so it was literally driving the man mad. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we we probably famously say if you, you know, want to join the discussion, join in on Instagram and 
and all of that stuff, but we we don't do the greatest job of doing that. But we do want to, and uh, we actually have like a group me um, between the guys where we talk about. We're definitely the a lot episode. better with chatting and like chatting, yeah. like like direct communication. Yes, and so where do we go to find that, Matthew? Um, into the dark web. No, no. Okay. Uh, we go to Discord. Okay, so, Discord. Yeah. So okay. Discord, Discord is a great place, and we want to have. Um, a section on Discord. What do you call these these channels on Discord? Yeah. Um, and other podcasts have done this. It seems to work really well. We may be in some other podcasts. We, we won't talk too much about that. But we want to co- create a discussion phase uh, Discord um, where we do uh, where we hear from you guys about your thoughts on the episode and the topic. What is you know what are some of the games from your uh, that are have your favorite first player mechanism in that we're gonna. Um, in just a minute, we're going to throw down on some. Yeah. And a lot of the other guys in our group are real deep in the sauce on the Discord yeah. for board gaming uh, related stuff and stuff. So they're really yeah. big and active and they want to get more involved with this. After every episode, we have to put up with that. Yeah. Uh, and then John is the youngest one of us. And when I say the youngest, he's what? what he, he's 24. He's 24. And so yeah. he's just a year or two younger than us. Um, so we make him, I tell him he needs to be our official social, uh, social media, media manager, manager yeah. our media <laughs> manager. So, yeah. So John is thankfully working on this. Shout out to John. Um, yeah, he's been that. up a discord and stuff. So one of the things we're going to get talking about, uh, kind of a, Brady loves doing head to heads. What game is killing another game? I don't know why we have to live in this finite reality. You're the one that's got games on the chopping block, block right now. I don't know what you're talking about. Games kill games. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And I so, just, I just heard you talk for five like, minutes about not putting yourself in a box, Brady. Yeah. So there's room for both of these games, but the game, um, that yeah. these got a lot of attention uh, in 2020, especially like the first part of 2021 yeah. when people were giving out their awards for 2020. Yeah, these one might are, think these were the only two games that came out in 2020 because they were on every list from uh, these were considered from all the way from family games to heavy strategy games to best artwork, best new designers, you name it, game of the year lists all across the board gaming influencer sphere, and that is Lost Runes of Arnak and Dune Imperium. And Dune Imperium, we it, said that backwards. Spoiler alert, but we're going to talk about these two games compared. But uh, what are your what what are your thoughts well, on this? Well, first off, these two games are very eerily similar. But like I said, both of them came out in 2020. They both have a very similar complexity rating. I think uh, Dune Imperium has a 2.96. Arnak has a 2.86. So pretty much identical there. Yep. They play one to four. I think they both have a solo Their mode. Worker placement. Worker placement deck, deck building. building. And yep. they both play in one Which to two hours. Which is not like, like you don't find, there aren't, like if you look at the list of worker placement deck building, there's like two games on it. I mean, there might be like a couple of other ones, but this is not like a common smash up of me- of mechanisms. Well, some of them work place with very has very light deck building, which is, you know, I I sorry for mentioning it all the time, but like Great Western Trail technically has deck building. It's not it, a very it's not as, I wouldn't call it worker placement. It's Rondell. Rondell. You yeah. wor- place your worker along the wrong Dell, but it's not yeah. very deep mechanical deck building. It's yeah. very, very simplistic. But these tout to be both equally worker placement and equally interesting deck building. Yep. Um, these were at all the hype. They're both in the top 50 all time. Rolostrans are Arnak at 42. Dune Imperium um, is at 24. Uh, I think I've They're played- They're top 50 of all time? Both of them. Really? I, yep. I, I have a sense that those are going to be dropping down over the yeah. next couple of years. Well, the thing is they have expansions coming out for them yeah. this year as yeah. well, and so that's going to be adding more hype to it. Gotcha. So, uh, so um, it seems like- so. 
from from the masses, Dune Imperium seems to be a good bit higher. But yeah. what what are your personal preferences on this? So I'm a little divided because I feel like they do one does one thing better than the other, and the other does it better, um, respectively. Is that I feel like Lost Ruins of Arnak is the better worker placement game, and Dune Imperium is the vastly superior deck builder. Like that's an interesting way to put and it. and shoulder, and I think the to me, and I'm surprised I'm saying this because earlier on I was thinking the other way, but I think the the difference in deck building of Dune Imperium compared to Arnak is significantly greater than the difference of worker placement between the two. Do you think so? Because and I think you've, that this, you've commented multiple times, and I think this, the worker placement in Dune is very basic and is very, very basic, boring. But I think the deck building vastly is vastly superior to Arnak to the point where I think it gives it the edge, at least for me. Because in Dune Imperium, you're cycling your deck, reusing these cards multiple times. You can... You can um, call your deck or, or clean out your deck, get rid of cards that you don't want to. Yeah. The cards have multiple actions or abilities. You can use them for their points uh, to or spice points or whatnot to buy more uh, cards from the market. You can use some of them for their combat points to save them for combat. You can use them for their in-world actions. Um, but both of them use deck building to where uh, the cards have specific regions. You have to play them to place your worker. And I love, I think that's really cool because it's not just like, deck building that's that's kind of a separate like the cards you have in your hand limit where you can place your workers both of them have that and both of them i think do that specific part very well because i can't tell you how many times in dune imperium uh i wanted to go somewhere but i didn't have the cards with the matching region either because i didn't get enough of those or i didn't i called them or anything like that and i found in arnak that even though that was the case sometimes it never was quite as hurtful. There's always a little way around it. Um, because in Dune Imperium, you have like the four different factions as well as the three different, two or three different regions on the board you can go. And so there's like seven different kind of worker placement sections that you have to have the right card to play, which is vastly more than an Arnak. And so sometimes you have to really curtail your strategy for what cards I'm putting in my hand so that I can go do actions. And I think that pain and that, man, I didn't get the right card or I haven't focused on the right cards to let me go do these actions. Even though the actions are basic, I do think the actions are a lot more straightforward, a lot more basic. It's not really a bunch of combo, but being able to take those actions and having the right cards to combo with that, I think is vastly more interesting strategically than Arnak does. Because we talk all the time, Arnak is like, I'm going to buy this card for some points. I'm never going to see it again. Or the artifacts, I'm going to buy this, get that one-time artifact bonus. It's going in my discard pile, never seeing it again. Or it's way too expensive to react to so the artifacts in Arnak. You have to pay the research tablet tablets, tokens. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, to activate that ability again, you have to spend those tablets again. Yeah. And it is so, so if expensive. You're going, if you're going that route, you have to have a tablet engine Big time. Because it's so much easier just to spend those tablets for the research track yeah. to get points. But and, I think the design... Um, lends itself like it knows that it's doing that, and and that's why you activate them immediately when you get them because you're you're sort of getting towards the end of the game, so you're probably like th that's sort of, sort of built into the design that you're not going to be really cycling yeah. through. These I think cards. the thing is though, like we all agree that the worker placement in Arnak is clean, 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of, we could even say it's kind of clean. I wouldn't go as far as elegant, yeah. but it's, it's very streamlined, but it also doesn't do anything different or in yeah. like, wow, this work replacement is different. I think it does different. do something. It doesn't, it's not crazy different, but I, and I will argue neither one of these games are very thematic. Um, be, and I think you've said it yourself with the Dune Imperium there. I think there is maybe one worker placement spot where you have to have a faction alliance in order to go there. And you, you've said, and I totally agree with you that I think it would have been so much more interesting if, if you, you had at least one per faction, you had like, yeah, just, you had one per faction or, or something where those alliances meant a little more. And because that theme is, is so interesting. I mean, it's sort of like game of Thrones where you, the factions are just, you know, at each other's throats or whatever. They're constantly, you know, flip-flopping and whatnot. And so, but that is like, no, like none of that shows up in the game of Dune Imperium. Yeah. Um, I don't like, know how much the expansion is going to be adding to that because I know the expansion changes up some worker placement spots Yeah, uh, on there. Um, but I watched Dune Imperium, the movie, Brady. Yes. And it was and is phenomenal. It is a work of art. Yeah. Um. And diving into the lore and the mythology and the world and the IP and the setting of Dune through the books and the the movies and the show that's going to the Bene Gesserit show on HBO that's going to be coming up yeah. and learning ever the depth. So of, then, let me ask you with with the themelessness that comes in. I disagree. Dune I think Dune Imperium is more thematic than uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak because when you understand the the, the Fremen Bond and the Bene Gesserit and how all these different factions, because what I love about Lost uh, Dune Imperium's cards is that if you go after cards that have similar factions on them, like there are cards you can get that are the Bene, have more of a tendency to the Bene Gesserit or to the Fremen or whoever, but then those cards can combo. Like if you have this class or house type card in play, you get an extra little bonus if you play I guess the secondary card. So, but it's just card. like a matchy matchy game, and it doesn't like you could put a a ton of different themes yeah. on that that are like you know faction yeah. related. But Dune Imperium also came out with asymmetrical player abilities from the get go, which Lost Ruins of Arnak did not do. Yeah, that and that's true, but they are not very exciting. I will say that. I mean, I will agree, like, but I mean, but. They do a kind of affect when you play because I think the cards have a signet ring on it. Yeah, yeah. And it does affect when you play those to get those abilities to trigger yeah. stuff. They're not so they're not game breaking because I think the Arnak uh, asymmetrical leaders, everyone from the Rouge, like they're game breaking, but everyone's is equally game breaking. Dune isn't that like you know, and I kind of like that. Like I like a Marco love Polo type Marco stuff. Marco Polo, where you feel like, oh my goodness, like this yeah. is broken. They um, could have ramped that up. I do think they could have ramped up the asymmetrical because one of them, I believe, just gives you a coin, which is super lame. Yeah, or one of them just kind of gives you some extra spice. So that could have been more interesting. I don't know if the expansion adds some of that different stuff, but I know the expansion adds different worker placements, different types of units. Because the thing is, what Dune does have combat in it. And also, Dune does have variable win conditions. And it is fairly interesting combat. Like, I don't know that I've seen it in a lot of other games, but you can, you know, there's cards that add you combat points to them. Um, and the combat has a good bit of tension. And like, that's where, you know, the majority of your victory points are coming from. Yeah. And I guess that, that also I've mentioned before, my frustration is sometimes the second place is just vastly inferior to the first place. Uh, 
Yeah, so you could commit a lot and not. Yeah, and so that it usually is like, hey, I'm going to let these two fools duke it out. I'm going to save my resources the next round, which I guess can be part of the strategy, right, with it. But I know the last game we played, I went like, hey, I'm just going to go a real hard deck building strategy. Um, I did win one battle, um, but I went really hard deck building, getting the Spice Most Flow Victory Point cards, and I won um, that way. Yeah, okay. so I do appreciate that. Here's the thing. I'm going to throw this out there. And if you disagree with me, I'm sorry, you're a crazy person. But the production value is vastly superior I in our I think the, the board... The, the, uh, it has some of the best artwork I have ever seen in a board game. And the fact that, like... Dripping. Yes, and, yeah. that every, like, monster tile is unique. Where, like, most board games would have just... Every card generic, is unique. The yeah. only thing in that game that is the same on any part of that board is the icons. Which, by their very nature, should be the same. Same, um, yeah. And Mr. Stickers over here, it comes with stickers to put on your little uh, your books and stuff. Hey, that you know what that's else got you... a few points right there at least. Yeah, but you know what? Also, you can get on Etsy, the same company that makes all the stuff for Viticulture and all these other stuff. You can get realistic adventurer stickers to place on your non-screen printed meeples. Meeples, and yeah. they look fantastic. That would be cool when whenever we get the eventual expansion pack. Um, yeah, I think for me, um, I, and I will say as a major caveat, um, while Dune... While the oh, well, I will say Dune, real quick, there is a upgraded deluxe components set that did come with G- yes. Dune. Where, where is that deluxe component set? in Seattle. Set? Oh, okay. It's yeah, been yeah. stuck in a... Fr- and when was it supposed to be here? A long a time long ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> yeah. John so is are there, are there, I'm, I'm They're quasi uh, yes, in, a, in an alternate reality. Somewhere in our imagination, yeah. there are somewhere, deluxe upgraded oh, Willy pieces. Wonka type imagination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but John has been keeping an eye. But what's crazy is that in theory, the expansion for Dune Imperium could arrive at John's doorstep before the deluxe components from the base game. Oh, those deluxe components are never coming. They are, you know, that they're those they ripped off. Are never coming. Um, but but they do. I will. They do exist. They are real. Yeah. You can also because no, I don't know how many people have gotten them. You can go on Etsy and you can actually get really nice people making their own custom 3D printed upgraded components for Dune. But I will say the artwork on the cards, I'm okay with. They could have been a little bit better. It uh, it pulls from the movie, which I appreciate. Um, but it's not like stills. It's not stills. No, Nothing no, no. will make me not want to play a game. Their artist composite shows. renders inspired from the movie. The movie. You yeah, can still yeah. tell it's the actors, but it is it is clearly art. Yeah, not yeah. just stills. It, it looks but the like, board. It looks like they legitimately took movie stills and then like put some sort of like Instagram filter over them it's, to it's, make it's them better look than like, it. Brady, to no. make it's better like, than that. Brady, it's better than that. And there's also slightly. There's also a lot of cards that don't have stuff from the movie. But inspired from the clothing, the style of the movie is on the artwork, yeah. and it is no surprise, it is no shock to anybody that I loathe, for the most part, space themed games. I don't know why. I just it, it, they are so like scientific looking well, and think, so boring looking. I think you definitely don't like high space fantasy as much. Would you say that? Well, that's not necessarily true because I think the art and like the whole aesthetic in Twilight Imperium Four. Is great. like that better? I have no okay. complaint about that. It's just um, super, super like digital, very like. Well, specific. so again, again, and this is my same complaint with, uh, with New Frontiers is the the symbol and the pieces for spice in 
Dune Imperium, which is like, you know, the mo- the highest, most valuable thing in the universe is what? An orange hexagon. Are you kidding me? This is the most valuable stuff and it is a an orange hexagon. You can't tell me you can come up and with something Solaris better than that. And the Solaris are just gray spheres. But you yes. know what you can get? You can get stickers to put on those, Brady. They exist. <laughs> yeah, And yeah, they do yeah. make them a little bit better. I know. But that, that like, I don't know what is up with space games and hexagons, but it just You can upgrade those away. resources. You can get metal credit coins. Um, you can also get, you know, like the spice bags that I have for Marco Polo. You can also get those type bags, but have orange in it. And you could use those as bags of See, spice. See, that's for what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like, cool. I, it's, it's, it would be so cool to just have. And you don't even, like, I'm not even, it doesn't even need to be those like super deluxe components. Just like come up with a little wooden piece that looks like a bag with, you know, yeah. sp- spice but the, coming the, out of it. But the board is so flat and yes. so boring yes. Thank that you. the Thank tracks you. themselves are flat and boring. They work. Like they work. They're practical. They're clean. But it, it just is, looks, it, it doesn't, there's so much. But the world is so deep and so rich, and then that board just looks like, yeah, it just looks super lame. It, I don't understand and why it had to is, be that. It looks like a piece of art that you could hang on your yeah. wall, like literally. It's double-sided, too. Yeah. Um, and so I don't understand why they chose that. Maybe they felt like, hey, we just need to make sure it's there's cl- it's clean and clear. You can read it. Yeah. You can definitely do that. But like, you could just, without, it doesn't have to be like some crazy, like, like a game board that is super busy, like Rogers of the Ganges, or yeah. you could think of Praga Kappa Regni. Those boards are busy. Those are intense. Yeah, a lot going on. Like, For a newer gamer, that's very overwhelming. It's, it, like, it what in the world? Very overwhelming. On? Even Kanban. You don't need that, but just even like art, art artistic like designs and uh, putting little different stills or different like even like the house faction tracks. Because one thing that Dune has is like it has a lot of influence from American cultures on them. Like I know there's like a lot of Spanish influences and bulls and matadors and lineage type stuff. And so there's all different ways you could even put small little stuff in the background. You can even the 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 board is just brown. Like yeah. the sand, yeah. you don't even have unique hills and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think any of the other Dune games really do it very awesome well either. Sandworm on that board somewhere, yeah, yeah. just in the art, or yeah. some houses with a fremen coming up out of the sand, or you could even physically have like the capital a city pop up sandworm, like in, like in Camel, Camel up. up. You don't need you that open much. that board and that sandworm just. But you could that would be amazing. I, yeah, I just you could so have easily had. The, the map of Dune in the middle have the cities and the landscape and the different yeah, regions yeah. and even even labeled them maybe a little bit with like hey this is a reference points for this just for the, the fans yeah um, but so I won't I, say that but that doesn't make it a bad game though Brady it it, it doesn't it makes it less enticing less it draws me in less yeah so um, I guess we've ranted and raved about it so ultimately you are on team Dune Dune Imperium ultimately I am on team Arnak and I, I cannot wait for I, I I neither one of these games are like way up there for me. I think in you know a lot of people can debate over whether or not 2020 was a great year for board gaming. I think we I think we lost a lot of things like so much stuff got, got pushed. So much stuff got pushed. And I think these sort of came out and shined because there really wasn't a whole lot else coming out at the time. I know that yeah. might be that may or may not be a hot take, but um I I am looking forward to the expansions to both of these games and seeing kind of where that ends up yeah. putting them after a couple of years. So yeah, the thing so let is, us know in that Discord channel. Yeah. Are you on Team Arnak or Team Dune Imperium? Yeah. And I need some help on Team Arnak because I'm yeah. as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I know, I think everybody in 
in our group. I don't know what Jacob. I can't remember what Jacob's preference was. Well, he he owns our neck. He does not own Dune Imperium. So but he might is, be on my side. Yeah, he may be on your side. But I don't think, from what I've looked at, other than asymmetrical player abilities, a new new research track, I don't think it really changes much with the deck building. So I think the deck building, for the most part, is going to be the same. Yeah. And to, like I said, I think the deck building in Dune is so vastly superior that it edges out the the ins, uh, insufficiencies, maybe, with the worker placement. But yeah. I think that's I, the worker placement is what they're trying to bump up a little bit, yeah. I think, with the expansion. I like the card mechanisms in our neck. I don't know that I would go so far as to call it deck building. I think that, I think that's why people are dissatisfied with it is because they yeah. go, oh, we have deck building. And it, I think it's more hand management. Than you know, you may be right building. with that. I think because it kind of set itself up for failure a little bit there. Yeah, you just don't feel like the your deck of cards are live and it's unique and you're yeah. using them. You just don't feel like you're using them. Because like a good strategy in our neck is to literally get your deck down to a single hand of cards. Because it's the only way you can use them. Yeah, and, and, and to be able to just, you have a single hand of really great cards and you're just using them over and over again. That's like a totally viable strategy. In that yeah, game. there's no way to cycle your cards. And the only way you really, there are some cards that you can like spend to permanently get rid of, but they're not very optimal for like how much you have to pay for them. Yeah. And, and I guess yeah, that's the lift down. I love the theme ones. though. The theme, the resources, the base game production value is all great. Um, and I love, you know, you have to tear your way up to the more difficult sections on the map for worker placement. I think that's all, all great. Um, but I, I don't see anything, at least in the base, these new expansions that's going to be putting it above Dune because in the, my, my heart wants to I like want Indiana. More. I if I want to knock off Indiana Jones. Dude, the, those are going to send me. If there's if there's a knockoff Indiana Jones, you can look Laura at them. Croft They're online. And, there's videos of people unboxing them. I don't think there's one that looks very much like Indiana Jones. I could be wrong. There's Indiana some, Jones. He is the, the most famous one. I think there's obviously they look adventurey, but yeah. I don't I don't think they look full on Indiana are they Jones. Na- are they named? I don't know if they're named. I can't remember if they're named if they're or like not. they're knockoff names. Uh, I think but we'll look fun. online after we get done, yeah. and uh, they have people unboxing them, and you can look at the artwork. And okay. I think there's five, five or six of them. Okay. So there's not a huge... So big there's deal. enough for like a choice with the last player choosing between two or whatever. So, yeah, or yeah. you put so many out and you bid for them or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're going to do, but... Yeah, so let us know on the new and upcoming Discord what you think yeah. Lost we'll Rooms of Arnak. We'll be in there. We'll be chatting. Let us yeah, know what you think. Yep. Well, that's going to be it for this week's episode. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. As always, I'm Matthew. I'm Brady. And this has been The The Discussion discussion Phase. Phase. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Discussion Phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. You can also join us on our newly created Discord channel and talk with us directly in our group. Let us know what you think of these different topics and discussions. You can still follow us on Instagram at the Discussion Phase for new posts and playthroughs and reviews, or you can always send us an Instagram and let us know what you're thinking. Thanks, everybody. Matthew, I think that was the first cordial conversation and argument we've ever had in the history of our friendship. The one about doing Imperium. We actually came to like somewhat of an agreement. on First step in a journey of a thousand miles. Wow. It's great stuff. We've come a long way.